Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are in American Idol, and it's been uh, a fun series where we're just kind of examining uh, some of the common idols that we have here in America. Um, and I am not going to hide our, our uh, idol for this morning. Um, but what I want to do is I want to tell you just half of a story really quick uh, so that you guys start to understand what this idol is all about, what, what this idol comes from. So um, it happened about three mornings ago, and it was with my daughter, Evangeline. We were getting up a little bit early and giving mom some extra time to sleep. You see, all of my, my girls were sick, so uh, I was trying to take care of them just a little bit, right? Uh, so my wife is sleeping, my older daughter and my younger daughter are up with me, and I'm letting them watch TV as I try to figure out, you know, how to make stuff and, and end up giving them cereal anyway. Um, and as I'm finishing the breakfast, as I'm putting it on the table and getting the younger into the uh, safety seat, right, I tell my oldest, hey, please turn off the TV and come eat breakfast. Well, she immediately starts throwing a fit. She's upset and just mad that I'm making her turn off the TV. She turns off early, she throws the controller, she comes over, and her comment that really struck me was, I wish you were sick too, so I could watch all the TV I wanted. (laughs) Which is not untrue, (laughs) but it's the fact that she said it, right? So like I said, let me introduce our idol for this morning, and I'll tell you the rest of that story here in a bit. Um, we're going to talk about privilege. And I realize that there's a lot of things that come up when we say the word privilege. I'll get to that in a minute, but first let's look at the definition of privilege. Believing oneself inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. How many of you think that's right? A couple? Okay. It kind of gives it away. Like, you can't use the word in the definition of the word. So it, this isn't the real definition. Let me, let me go ahead and show you the real definition. Uh, privilege is special rights or advantages, immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group. Now, this in and of itself can't really be an idol. Um, <clears throat> so you know, what was the original definition that I actually showed you? I'll get to that in a minute. But you see, that whole granted or available thing, that means that it's given to us. So who makes this available to us? Who blesses us with this? Well, I used the blessed word, so I guess I gave that away again. I'm not very good with secrets. Keep that in mind. Now, it is God who gives us this ability to be privileged. And I mean... In a way, Americans are all very privileged, right? But before we go any further, I want you to know that I am in no way, shape, or form going to 
talk about the social or the political ramifications of this word. If you want to talk about that, you can email Don at Don at MVFcolorado.com. <clears throat> My goal this morning is to talk about this word and its personal and spiritual effects. Fair enough? So what is the definition that I actually gave you? Well, that is the definition for entitlement. Entitlement is believing oneself inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. But here's the thing. We can't have entitlement unless we have privilege. Now, I love the creative team here at MVF. I love being a part of planning out the series and the different backdrops we have and all that stuff. It's great, and I love being a part of it. But there's uh, <clears throat> somebody on the team who absolutely loves alliteration. And I don't know if you've caught on to it or not because there's been like a whole week in between every sermon, but every uh, idol that we've had has started with the letter P, right? We've got power, politics, prosperity, persona, and now privilege. Um, but the real idol here is entitlement. But you can't have entitlement without privilege. So here I am. Now, oftentimes, we take for granted gifts that have been given to us and the basic things that are part of our life and start asking or expecting more just because we already have some of those basic things. So much like a spoiled child at a birthday party, we tend to be upset with God if we don't get exactly what we want, how we want it, when we ask for it. Sometimes we, as Americans, by the way, uh, we get a little bit entitled. I mean, have you ever been in a Starbucks when somebody asks for that uh, honey frappuccino mui latte, that thing, but they're out of one of those ingredients and all they have is mocha? There's a war about to go down, right? It, or in a favorite restaurant of yours, when they're out of that particular meal that the person in front of you really wanted. Like, those people get real entitled really quick. I'm paying for this meal. This is my meal. I, you better go find a steak somewhere, as if the waiter is going to go out and slaughter a cow themselves, right? We have so many choices in our society, and really, privilege plays out as a lot of choices, uh, I mean, it's not like people without privilege, people in other countries can really vote for their dictator. They can't really uh, choose between uh, organic or regular vegetables, T-Mobile or Verizon, Republican or Democrat, 400 or 1,000 thread sheet seat sheets, right? We get to choose between public and private schools. We have whole or skim milk. We even have dark chocolate, or milk chocolate. We have so many choices, and obviously that's just touching the surface, but I feel like our privileges seem to emerge in choices that we have. The problem is those choices often lead us to be entitled about what we should get and how much of those choices we should get. But we are not the first people to feel this way, right? We, well, I want you guys to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter uh, 16. 
we are going to read about the Israelites in a point where they are very entitled. But as you guys are turning there, let me just go ahead and tell you where we're at in the story. You see, the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for about 430 years. And God is finally going to rescue them. But you may ask, why did God leave them in slavery for so long? Well, the very simple truth is that the Israelites were practicing their multiplication tables. They were multiplying a lot. And if you don't know what that means, ask your father. But here's the thing. God was going to save them through Moses and free his people. But he wasn't just going to save them. He was going to create ripple effects that would be felt 50 years from this time. Uh, Really quick. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Then there's a plague sent. And sometimes we read this and we go, man, God, that's a really cool plague because we weren't in it, and thanks for not doing it to us, right? But those plagues were actually strategic attacks on different Egyptian gods. God literally eliminated each Egyptian god meticulously, right? He proved that they weren't real, and if they were, that he was the far superior god. God humiliated the Egyptians, And in 40 plus years, when they would reach the promised land, they would still be scared of the God that freed them from Egypt. And they would say that. Now, Pharaoh finally says, fine, get out of here. And another part of the story that we tend to skip skip over is the fact that God like flipped the meaning of valuable in the Egyptians' heads. Because as the Israelites were on the way out of town, everybody in Egypt was like, here, I don't want this crappy gold anymore. Take this silver. I don't need it. This is, this is dumb. Get rid of it. All this family heirloom, take it. I don't want it anymore. And so not only did the, the Israelites walk out of Egypt, they also took anything of value with them. God was doing crazy things, but it gets better, right? They get to the Red Sea, and... Pharaoh, by this point, has changed his mind, right? He chases after him, and we all kind of know the story, or we've at least seen the movie. God stops him, stops Pharaoh and all of his army with this giant pillar of fire, which had to be one heck of a scary thing to run into. He splits the Red Sea, and the Israelites cross through it on dry ground. And for reasons I will never fully understand, Pharaoh is like, that looks safe. We'll just chase after him. Well, he runs into it, and naturally, God just drops the sea on him. It's crazy, crazy dumb on Pharaoh's part. But the Israelites walk away, and they just get through their first little town, and they're starting to walk into the desert, headed towards Mount Sinai, which is where we pick up this verse. The Israelites are walking towards Sinai, like I said, right out of the first town, And they say in verse 3, if only we had died in Egypt, or if only we had been killed by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they moaned. We sat around with pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. They know that they're headed to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. They understand and were there for all of the plagues, 
for the splitting of the Red Sea. They've been following a pillar of fire at night and a giant pillar of cloud by day. I mean, these people have experienced more crazy signs of God, more physical images of God in their singular lifetime, in the singular past couple of weeks, than we will probably ever see in our entire lifetime. They fully understand that God can do anything. They call Him Lord, which means they understand that He is a God who can easily take care of them. But yet, their complaint is that back in Egypt, they had pots of meat. Ooh. By the way, that meat would have all been secondhand. Egyptians would have chewed on it first. And, and their dogs and cats probably would have chewed on a little bit before they were given to the slaves. Right? And they had bread. Now, I love Olive Garden bread, but that has a lot of stuff on it. I work there. They, they, you don't want to eat Olive Garden bread for very long. They put a lot of stuff on that thing. But the Israelites had a little bit of privilege. They had food back in Egypt. And because of that, they felt entitled now. Now, we all kind of understand that the Israelites were complaining to Moses and Aaron about this, and God does take care of him. But let's be clear. Our first lesson that we need to understand is privilege does not equal entitlement, or it shouldn't, right? Because we have privilege, it does not mean that we should be entitled. Now, God does take care of his people in this story. He sends manna and quail, and quail is pretty good if you've ever had it, but he sends food for them to eat. But, I mean, if you go back a couple of verses, we see the Israelites complaining and freaking out. You go forward half a chapter, and you see them complaining about water, as if it's not raining food from heaven every morning. Right? The Israelites just have this bad habit of not trusting God and not remembering what God has done for them. So, please... Keep this in mind. Don't be like the Israelites. Just because you have something doesn't mean that you're automatically entitled to more. Or it shouldn't mean that. Because once we get entitled, we start worshiping that idol. We start viewing that entitlement as the focus of our life. We start focusing on what we should have more than focusing on God. And that's the real problem. Now, God, like I said, does take care of his people. And honestly, we are taken care of too. We have a lot of privileges here today, right? Like God has blessed us today. We don't even have to go far to see it. But just talking about some of the spiritual things that we have the privilege of, I mean, we are privileged to be followers of Christ. We are privileged to have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the same power that that was on earth when they split the Red Seas, right? We have the Holy Spirit living in us, which was really the pillar of fire. We are privileged to be saved from eternal separation with God. And that's not like a maybe eternal separation. If you follow Christ, you're saved. Ours is the only faith on earth to where we know before we're dead 
where we're going to end up. But we also have a lot of things that we've been given as privileges. We have the privilege of having clean water. That's not something everybody in this world has, or a lot of people don't have it. A huge number of people don't have clean water. We have homes to live in. My guess is that everybody here has a home that they get to go home to. And if you don't, talk to somebody else that's sitting here, yeah? We have friends and family who love us. We have been chosen by God. How about that? You have been chosen by God to be one of His people. And you, that means you have a purpose. We have been chosen by God to have a soul, which means our life will carry on after our physical body dies. All of those things can be taken away, though, at a moment's notice. Just think about the life of Job and the story that is told about his life. And I will just be completely honest with you. Over the last five months, I've been made keenly aware of how temporal most of our life is. Most of how the things we have are by my three trips to the hospital. It has not been easy, but it has taught me that lesson. That just because we have privilege doesn't mean we need to be entitled But this brings me to lesson number two, and I'm wondering if you noticed kind of the lack of it in our first story that we told. If you guys wouldn't mind, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 17. As you guys are going there, I'm going to go ahead and finish my story about my daughter, right? Uh, Evangeline eventually calms down, and I'm able to talk with her. And I sit her down, and, and just very calmly I said, hey, just so you know, you don't have to watch TV today. You don't have to watch TV tomorrow. I, in fact, we don't ever have to watch TV if you act like this. And she became real apologetic really quickly. She realized that she had gotten to watch TV as a privilege, a lot of TV. And at that point, she thanked me. But I'd also made her breakfast, so she wanted to suck up a bit, and she thanked me for that as well. And then she said, sorry for yelling. It was a good moment for us, honestly. I liked it. You guys there? Luke chapter 17? Perfect. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 11. As Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Just a quick note, the fact that they call him Master uh, can be translated as Lord as well. That's them recognizing that he is God, that he is actually holy. So they know, or at least they have faith in who Jesus is. He looked at them and said, go, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Now, 
we need to understand just a couple of things before we fully grasp what this next lesson is. First of all, it mentions that he was a Samaritan. That's there only to show us that this man didn't know all of the customs of what he was supposed to do in the Jewish faith. He would have known some because he was a Samaritan, but because they were considered kind of outcasts or inbreds, they wouldn't have been kept up on all of the new laws and what they were supposed to do. So this man, despite the lack of education on what he was supposed to do, this man who was kind of looked down on and this man who didn't know what the proper thing to do was, came back and did the right thing. Also, and more importantly, he gets this second healing, right? Your faith has healed you. Well, he was already healed, right? All ten lepers were. But keep in mind that this is the book of Luke. Luke himself, who is writing this, is a doctor. And his word choice is just poetic. This healing, the second healing, actually means spiritually healed. Because of this man's faith and the fact that he came back and thanked God means that he was healed spiritually. So much like the man on the cross who asked to be with Jesus in heaven, he was spiritually healed. Our second lesson is this. The idol of entitlement, of privilege, we, excuse me, when we worship the idol of privilege, we lose our thankfulness. Now, let's focus on the other nine lepers for just a moment. Those nine lepers were healed. That is where their privilege began. Before that, they weren't very privileged people. There was a lot of things that they were not allowed to do. There was very strict law around lepers because they were very contagious. Lepers had almost no rights other than digging through trash outside of towns. So these lepers are given privilege by Jesus. They're healed, and all of a sudden, they have a lot of privilege in their life. They can go see their families again. They can go back to the temple and worship God. They can tell other people, their friends, that they're healed. They can go see their children if they had any, right? These lepers now have a lot of privileges, and they go do those things instead of coming back and thanking Jesus. What this tells me is that when we are given a gift, when we are blessed by God, it is more important for us to thank Him than it is to go see our own family, than it is to go do other things. In fact, the most important thing we can do is spend time with God at that point. This man receives healing. His faith heals him spiritually. I guess it could be said a little bit like this. When a sense of entitlement clouds our thinking, we miss out on what God truly has for us. That is spiritual healing. Now, I only mean this, and I know I said it a little bit a funky way, but I mean this as, as a very simple statement. 
if you want to be saved with Jesus, thankfulness is, is a requirement. Entitlement takes away that thankfulness. Entitlement tells us, oh, I deserve that. I deserve what Jesus did for me. I'm glad he got nailed to the cross because that was what I deserved. And that is not at all true. Right? We know Jesus Christ came to this earth as Lord. He lived his life as a human and he got nailed to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And it is because of that sacrifice that we are saved. And that is not something we are entitled to. That is a gift from God. That is Him blessing us. So, what is it we are supposed to do? Because this idol isn't necessarily like, necessarily like the other ones, right? This kind of sets in a little bit more subtly. How are we supposed to avoid worshiping this idol? How are we supposed to change our life when we can barely notice it to begin with? Well, it's actually really easy to do, but it's hard to notice and, and well to start, honestly. It's simply this. Give thanks for everything. Start noticing the things around you. The air that comes into your lungs. Your home. Your family. Clean water. Friends. Your family. Start to notice the car you drive. The sky. The rotation of the earth and how it keeps us alive. The way the moon is in relation to earth. Right? The sun. His sun. Your children. Their children. If they're there yet. Start noticing every blessing in your life because that's what it is. We are very, very blessed and we are not short of things that we can give thanks for. When you start doing that, well, as long as we're constantly thanking Jesus for everything, including our salvation, including Jesus' sacrifice for us, it is impossible for entitlement to set in. If we take a posture of thankfulness, it is impossible for us to be entitled. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the people that are sitting in this room and thank you for the relationships that they have in their life. God, I pray that they are thankful for what you have done for them and I pray that they start to see what is going on in their life and how you have blessed them with the relationships, with the people, with their jobs, with their cars, with the money in their accounts that you have blessed them more than they can possibly understand. Thank you for us being in a country that allows us to meet like this openly. Thank you for so many things. 
Jesus, as we go out this week, I pray that you point out to everyone sitting in this room how much they truly have to be thankful for. And God, help us give you glory and honor for those things. Amen.